So they have a lot of strict rules about guides as far as you cannot race as a pro triathlete in any ITU sanctioned event for one year prior to being a guide. So Amy Dixon, the girl I have been guiding for for the past few years now, she, her guide had raced long course ITU worlds as a pro. And they didn't realize that because it was long course, they didn't think it was an, an issue, but it was. So she was unable to guide for her and her backup guide broke her ankle in a race. <laughs> and she was scheduled to do this race she'd been training for all for five months. And now she had no guide and it was two weeks until the race and she was desperate for a guide. And the race was in Japan. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of <laughs> Coaches on Couches. I got props you today. Scared our guests. Bing slouches. <laughs> With a, uh, a non-slouch. It's been a while one of since them, we had a non-slouch. One of the least slouchiest people, probably, Yeah, on she the might couch. be up there on the least slouchy we know. Yeah. Just wait till we start reading some stats here. Yeah. That's why I had to have a, a massive notepad over here. Our good buddy, Kirsten Sass, the Sassinator. The Sassinator. On the couch today. We will uh, we'll get to talking to her and her triathlon journey in just a second. I'm Coach Dale Sanford. I'm Coach Bryant Funston. We are the co-founders of BPC Performance Coaching, where we specialize in helping time-crunched athletes optimize their busy schedules so they can maximize their athletic performance. Every BPC coach is trained in our Five Pillars coaching system that has been developed over the last decade through our work with athletes of all ages and ability levels, from fresh off the couch to world championship competitors. You can find out more about BPC by going to buildpeakcompete.com. Check us out on Facebook and YouTube at buildpeakcompete. And all up on that Insta at BPC Performance. Yahtzee. Bingo, bango, bongo. <laughs> That's an inside joke. Ah. <laughs> uh, all right, so to uh, to be perfectly clear here, this is not a live. Full disclosure. <laughs> yeah, if you're watching this and it says live, it's a lie. <laughs> we are pre-recording this uh, on Friday uh, because it just worked out with Kirsten's schedule. So uh, if you're commenting and we're not commenting back, we apologize. Yes, <clears throat> we're still going to give shout-outs for the. <laughs> We are the gravel race that's happening tomorrow, but is actually <laughs> yes. so shout out. It was actually last Saturday. Shout outs to everyone that we know is going to kick butt at the uh, the gravel race. Where is it at? In uh, Ackerman. Ackerman, yeah. Ackerman, Mississippi Gravel Cup, Mississippi. The Rock Crusher. Rock Crusher. There you go. So shout out. Shout out to, to all, all of your great results. Future results. <laughs> <laughs> All right, quick uh, quick announcement once again. Uh, if you are, um, you know, signed up for Memphis seventy point three or uh, considered it, make sure you check out our Memphis seventy point three training group. Especially if you're local, uh, you don't have to be local to be a part of the training group because it is mostly online. Um, but that uh, that group, you can sign up at any time. And uh, you can find out more information on buildpcompete.com slash 
I M M E M. Pretty simple, right? Uh, and it includes the Facebook group, which the assassinator is a part of here. Yep, Kirsten is a uh, is a, a fellow coach in the in the Memphis Seventy Point Three training group. Yep. And uh, if you stay tuned, we are going to be announcing probably in a week or two uh, our early season tri camp, which will be held at the Winkler Performance Center, yes. the WPC, <laughs> uh, in McKenzie, Tennessee. So it's a, a fantastic location to get in. Tons of great training, kind of in a rural setting. And everyone stays together, super social. Um, but Elvis get, is there. Elvis is there. Plus Elvis and the food and <laughs> Elvis can cook. Elvis, little known fact, Elvis can cook. <laughs> Heck of a cook. So stay tuned for that, um, and we'll we'll kind of give you some details on that in the coming weeks. Um, anything else? Any other shout-outs? Hey, do you want to give shout-outs? What you got? Oh, off the top of my head. Yeah. Shout out to, can I do long distance? Go for it. Can I give a shout out to my coach, Suzanne, who's been getting me back on track and getting me ready for a race coming up in three weeks already. Nice <laughs> weeks. Nice, Nothing like nice. some off-season peaking. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you only have to hold that all the way through September. Right. <laughs> Anything else? That's it? All right. All right. All right, so we'll kind of get into our, uh, our chat here with the Sassinator. Um, do you like that nickname? Do you, <laughs> Before we use that every time we uh, say your name. <laughs> what can you do? <laughs> She's got a lot of I'm just going to roll with it. <laughs> uh, I like Sassafras. <laughs> if you've never, uh, if you don't know who she is, you've probably not been in triathlon that long. But, you know, Kirsten is, is known for smiling at, during every event she's ever done. She's the smiling assassin. Assassinator, yeah. So if, uh, if, if anyone out there can find a picture of Kirsten not smiling, oh gosh, <laughs> we'll pay for your entry into Memphis to May. Not the 70.3. Memphis to May. We'll cover your entry to Memphis to May. It's going to be a tough go, though. I don't think anybody's going to find one. I don't think it exists. And if so, so, we're going to Photoshop it. So, Brian, just, just throw down some stats so Kirsten doesn't have to yes. break her humble record. Yes, yes, yes. So, uh, SAS has been the overall USA Female Triathlete of the Year on four separate occasions. 2013, 2015, 2016, 2017. Uh, we aren't sure what happened in 14, but we're going to talk about that. Uh, <laughs> the overall female duathlete, uh, uh, duathlon champion of the year. What do we call that? Yeah, duathlete, duathlete of, the of the year. There we go. That works. Uh, two times there in 15 and 16. Uh, 10 world championship gold medals, which is ridiculous, uh, over a variety of different dis uh, distances there. Uh, 20 age group national championships and a, uh, a few uh, overall uh, national championships. Uh, one Ironman overall victory. No pros. No pros were there. Just female. Uh, <laughs> and your first ever triathlon back in 1999, you were last place in your in age, group. age group. So there you go. 
You've come so far. You've come so far. <laughs> Just a little ways. <laughs> but I think it's great, right, to we'll dive into it. But uh, you hear like all the amazing things that you've done, and the the fact is, everyone starts somewhere, right? And and it's not usually, it's not typical that a person starts out in a sport and is right away the top person in their sport. There's a process. Um, and, and a lot of dedication that goes into achieving the results you did. It's not like you've always been first in everything you've done, um, but you've had some great, obviously some great results. And had you quit because you got last place in your age group the first time you did it and said, Ugh, wouldn't be sitting this sucks. I didn't win, I'm out. I mean, just think of all the stuff you would have missed out on. And the people listening, you know, you, you could be in a very similar situation. So, so quick, Absolutely. so quick Sporting background, what was your, like, growing up, what did you? Not much of anything. So I grew up in West Tennessee, a small little town called McKenzie. We didn't have any cross country or track or swim team or anything like that. I rode a bicycle around a little bit. My dad got me into running, so I'm the oldest of six kids, and he decided that all of us needed to run a 5K once in our lives so that we could experience it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then if we never ran again, that would be fine. So... I did a 5K. I didn't win. I probably finished middle of the pack somewhere. And I thought, oh, that was good. And I ran a little bit on and off after that, but never anything. How old were you at very, the time? Uh, maybe 12, okay. something like that. Something like <laughs> okay. that. I was just young. Um, yeah. yeah, so no formal sports. My swimming was basically in a lake with the Girl Scouts, you know, side stroke, backstroke, that sort of thing. Um, so when I went to university up in Ontario, my father was doing triathlons at the time. And I went from living in a really small town to all of a sudden in this big city in a dorm with all these people and school was really tough. And so I had to find a way to balance my stress level. So I went back to running. I thought, well, all you need is a pair of running shoes, right? So I put on a pair of shoes and started running a little bit. And then my roommate at the time, she said, Kirsten, you like running and all this exercise stuff why don't you swim? So we went to the pool together and I could not make it to the end of the pool. (laughs) And I was just like flabbergasted. How are all these people of all shapes and sizes making it through the pool just fine? And why can't I do it? So So it became my challenge. So I started going to the pool regularly. And after a while there, I noticed there was a girl who was usually there when I was there and I caught her one day after I finished swimming. I said, you know, how many times back and forth make a mile? And she kind of looked at me and she said, I'm actually the coach of our little local triathlon club here. Why don't you come and start swimming with us? And so that was kind of my bridgeway into so you got the invite. Somebody, got, I got the invite. In. That's nice. Yeah. And then I got a mountain bike my second year up there and I started biking back and forth to my classes and started doing a little cycling with them. And I officially joined the triathlon club. And when my father found out, he was oh, man. so excited. <laughs> he, he figured I would be home from school right in time for the Memphis and May triathlon and not to worry, he would sign me up. And he'd take care of yeah. that for you. And he did. And he put me on one of his old bikes and that was my first triathlon. And that was 1999, That was right? 99. And it was an Olympic distance. <laughs> and 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 your dad was six three. Six three and I'm five nine. So I didn't get in my aero bars at all. <laughs> yeah, you were riding your pops' bike. I hope he did were... lower the seat a little bit for me, I think. Uh there's gotta be some good pictures of that somewhere. Uh, yeah. But is she smiling? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, Dale. <laughs> I don't know. That might be the one. Might be the one, one and only. <laughs> so, um, so you got into triathlon, you know, mainly through, you know, the the nudge of 
family and friends. And then, um, you know, now you're obviously training and racing at a high level, but you're not like a typical, you're not a pro athlete. You still work, you have kids. So go into a little bit of your family. So I do work. I'm a physician assistant at McKinsey Medical Center, um, just family practice. I've been there for about 15 years. I've got two children, a daughter and a son. My daughter's 10. My son is eight. And yeah, it's a lot of uh, juggling, a lot of early mornings, a lot of trying to find the balance to make things fit in. So you've been known to get up like pre-four o'clock. Yeah, I have, yep. Here the last few weeks with, uh, with my training ramping back up, I've been getting up usually four o'clock is about the average, 3.30 a lot of mornings. Sleeping in is five. <laughs> so what, like, and we kind of like, we've done a couple of different podcasts with like this topic involved, but like, what do you, like, how do you like get your, make yourself get up at, like, are you just a morning person or... I just know I don't have any other time to do it. If I don't get up in the morning and get it done, it doesn't get done. And right now I'm guiding for a visually impaired girl. So I have a very high standard that I have to, because somebody else is depending on me. So um, it's either get up and get it done or not do it. So So do you end up normally like, like pushing most of your training together in in the morning? So I still try to keep the quality. So quality is paramount. So I do my quality workouts in the morning. And then if I do have time to do an afternoon session, it's more of an active recovery or a technique work or something that I can get to balance out. Strength work I'll usually do in the afternoon, that sort of thing. Good deal. So, you know, we talked about how, you know, you got into triathlon a little bit. Talked about the first triathlon. Um, like what what made you stay in it is the big you know the big like either again like we talked about you you for anybody who has any like lick of competitiveness to them finishing last in their age group would does one of two things either set i'm done with this or lights the fire and lots of upside yeah lots of upside when you're last there's only one place you can go right you either tie or you go up. <laughs> this is true. Well, I was just so happy to survive, first of all. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, um, but the neat thing is, after the race, I just remember the whole atmosphere was amazing. There was live music. There was yeah. food. Everybody was hanging out. They were talking about the race, talking about races they'd done in the past, what their plans were. And I was like, what a great community. And not only that... Most of the people, and this was back when Memphis and May was huge, I probably got passed on the bike by like a thousand people. Sure. And 999 of them said something encouraging to me as they went by. And I just, I was kind of floored because I'd never done anything sport-wise where your competitors are so encouraging. And, you know, afterwards, everybody asked about the race and were so positive. And I thought, you know, I just really like this environment. And I think maybe if I train a little bit, I can do a little bit better. Exactly, right? <laughs> but, yep. but it was fun. I'd have to say, that was, that's pretty much what got me. Like, my first race was Mighty Might, and I almost died. <laughs> and I, I think I was probably bottom third of the, of the race. And, but it, was, it really was. It was like after the race, and even in that, ra- that race, is not as convenient to hang around afterwards because it's a point to point. But, like... After the race, everybody was so happy, positive, hanging out. Like people were, you know, cracking beers in the in downtown area there, and like it was just like a really like I had not done a sport where that was the 
end result, like the end of it. It was always like, I've always done sports where it's like, hey, good job to the locker room type, you yeah. know, you don't really get to do anything afterwards. So yeah, that was a similar thing of what kind of, kind of hooked me. Yeah. Very much a community aspect to it, right? Like yeah. everyone's kind of in it together. Everyone's got their own stories. Everyone's suffering just as much and going through the same, the same stuff, albeit at different speeds. Right. Um, and I think, you know, that's kind of like I, I gravel, you know, on the road side of things, gravel's becoming this big thing. And that's a lot of what I'm hearing from folks is a very similar thing. Everyone's hanging out afterwards, having fun, reliving the experience that they just had, encouraging each other out on the road. It's, it seems like a very similar um, community style dynamic to it, which is a, a fun, awesome thing to be a part of, right? Definitely. So like, like, you know, you started at the bottom, essentially, like how long, for one, how long did it take for you to like, for things to like start clicking and, and like being competitive and even winning races and then, like, what was your, what was your like method behind improvement, like throughout throughout that time? So, and I was trying to recall. I think the first time I won Memphis in May was about two thousand seven. So it was probably about seven or eight years. So, so it say was, that again. So for anyone who's like <laughs> newer to the sport, and, it was not an and overnight. Wondering why they're not improving to you the know, top of the podium. You know that ten thousand hours of practice thing. <laughs> yeah. It's really a thing. It does, it's for real, especially <laughs> in endurance sports, right? Yeah, I think it rewards you even more. You know, your first few years where you're building just that foundation, builds. right? Yeah. And that's kind of the method I use. It's just a consistency. It's. Ah, being she did it for us yeah. now consistency <laughs> it is it's consistency it's regular it's you know you get out there and you ride your bike three times a week and you get out there and run three times a week and you get yourself to the pool and one of my favorite i have to tell you this one of my favorite like visualizations of the training process is when you first start training you're like a lump of clay so little things make a big impression, right? Mm -hmm. And as you continue in your process, the clay hardens and it becomes more like granite or marble. So the same things that you did when you first started, you can't necessarily do because number one, they won't impact it or number two, they'll break it, right? But you can still use a chisel and still get finer details. So you just have to change and evolve as your training goes. But I kind of like that. It's oh, good analogy, sure. I like it. <laughs> and it takes a lot more work to get the small changes yeah. right yeah when you're trying to mold something that's hard it takes there's a lot more that goes into getting small percentages or small changes yeah to okay. occur and that's that's where i think that's get. i think that's a mistake a lot of people make over especially people who have been in triathlon for six seven years plus and aren't really making the improvements that they want to it's because they're doing the same thing that they were when they started or even like you get a couple years into it, and, and I always say there's like some like default improvements that you're gonna make just by doing. Like you're just you're you're getting more experience even, and that's gonna make you have better races. Yeah, your percentage um, gains are always a lot bigger on the front end than when you, oh yeah. you know, elite folks or and you especially. You know, you're probably if you can get a few percent each year, it's huge. It's huge, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, you know, just just. You can't, you cannot do the same thing that you've been doing even two years, two, three years in. If you're six, seven years in now, there has to be, you, you have to be completely changing and finding out. And the big thing is picking your limiters, 
like what are your biggest limiters and those don't even have to be like whenever I, whenever I ask somebody about their limiters they're like well I suck at swimming <laughs> like okay like what about swimming like dot, drill in a little bit yeah. and, and pick something and then focus on that and like don't just say I'm bad at this leg of the of the sport Th- this whole thing yeah. this whole thing I'm horrible at <laughs> I'm horrible at getting to the race. So I suck at swimming, so that, and then I'm not so strong on the bike, and I'm a little slow on the run. <laughs> so that kind of ties in. Um, one of the things I used to love to do, so my dad and I were very close. Obviously, he got me into triathlon, and I stayed in triathlon. A lot of, of it was because of him, because we picked these races to do in these different challenges. So we're really big on New Year's resolutions. I love New Year's resolutions. But also, what we love to do is at the first of the year, take a look and say, okay, what do we want to work on this year? So one year it was just biking. So that's when I really started doing the road racing, yeah. r- road racing series in Tennessee. One year it was swimming. I said, all right, we got to work on our swimming. So we went and we found this open water swim camp in St. John, which was pretty awesome. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> rough it through that. Rough. But you know, <laughs> I did the longest swim in my life there, seven miles in the ocean. Oh, but it did worlds for improving my confidence in the water sure. and learning to swim in different conditions. Yeah. And then running. One year we said, all right, we want to work on our run. And there's this great run coach named Bobby McGee, or like what you guys do with your running technique and say, okay, I'm really going to dial in. I'm going to do Tennessee as a great state parks running tour in the winter every Saturday in a different state park. It doesn't start till. Oh. 11 a.m., go and work on their running. So, you know, we just kind of take, there's so many different pieces to the puzzle. One year it's more working on nutrition. Okay, what am I doing? Where do I need to cut out? So So when you you are focusing on a specific leg of the sport, were you doing like a lot more of that, like sport, like uh, frequency during the week, like instead of swimming two times, you're swimming four times or like yeah, so it would vary. So sometimes yes, but more of it was like picking or picking a, a goal event. So say, all right, I want to go and do a century ride if I've never done a century oh, ride. Okay, so picking a specific event within a, that one. A challenging yes. aspect okay. within yes. that discipline that would force you then to, to have really to... focus on it and gotcha. work on it. Yeah. Yep. So uh, that's a great that's a great pointer, right? Because there's nothing that helps keep you motivated and accountable than having a a lofty goal where you know you have to put the time in to get there. If it's something where, you know, like for me personally, a century ride, I could, most of the time I can go do a century ride just fine. Yeah. But if I signed up for something that was, you know, like a dirty Kansas 200 miler on gravel roads, that's something where like, or like (laughs) Memphis 70.3, that's somewhere like, well, I better train, you know, I can't just go through the motions and make this happen. It's, it's something that's going to force me to have to be put in that extra work that I may not do otherwise. Yeah. That's great. A great tip. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, you talk a lot about your dad, um, getting you into the sport, keeping you in the sport and that kind of stuff. Um, you know, you know, for those that don't know, you know, he, he passed away a few years ago. Um, you know, suddenly it was a huge hit to the, entire triathlon community and and while we try not to get too serious while we're sitting on this couch just like talk a little bit about how the sport has kind of helped you get through like a tough time absolutely so it was really hard at first i remember he was he 
he suffered a bad head injury, so he was in the hospital for a while. And for a while, we thought he could pull through it. And when we figured out that he couldn't, I remember putting on my running shoes and going outside to go for a run. And it was the first time in my entire life that I wasn't sure I'd be able to go for a run because he was so tied up. And, you know, every time I went for a run, every time I went for a bike ride, we worked together. We biked back and forth to work together, you know. Um, we swim together. I just the day before this happened, we'd been to the pool together. So it was the first time I ever had to really stop and think, wow, I don't know if I can do this. But then I knew that he would just be absolutely crushed if I stopped doing it. And for me, it's, it's a still my connection to him because so much of what I have and have accomplished is because he pushed me and got me through. And it's been, it's been a very healing process too, because still carrying that through and carrying his spirit and being with my local group of people, a lot of whom he inspired. And so they kind of carry that as well. Um, so it's just been a really good thing to be able to keep, keep, sure. keep going. There were a couple, a couple races were really tough the first year, but yeah. then it's gotten better. I mean, he was like, like, even as the, not even in your community, just being in West Tennessee, you could tell that he had a huge impact on the endurance community. I mean, basically from Nashville over. You know, in just between his support of the events, uh, going to events, he was at everything, you know, that type of thing. So, yeah, I mean, it was, I'm sure it was, uh, you know, a super difficult time, but that's just kind of part of like what the sport does. It's like the community aspect of the sport is so strong. Uh, like if you get, you, it's, it's hard to like not get into the community side there's i know there's a few people that that we coach that are kind of lone wolf trained by themselves all the time they go to races by themselves but like the majority are like dialed into a community those are like they're good friends those are the people that if you get in trouble they're you're going to call them like you know so uh, for those that aren't are listening but aren't into triathlon if you are like missing a community or like searching for a community like highly recommend like looking into getting into triathlon just just for the community aspect the rest will like follow and come with but i mean that's a, a, a huge huge thing um so moving along i mean you've you know you, you've been through some rough times in the last couple of years and then you know, you've always been, in, you know, in our eyes anyways, the probably the most humble person uh, I've ever met, uh, sometimes to a fault, because, <laughs> because sometimes you, you got to, uh, you know, brag on yourself a little bit. But, um, you know, now you're, you're kind of even going a step beyond that and like basically giving your season, your racing to another person. So talk a little bit about like how you kind of got into doing paratri and, and guiding um, and then like what that's like and what is, you know, how it's been for you. So this is something I'm very passionate about and it came about in an interesting way. It was kind of like the triathlon grapevine, you know, somebody reached out to me and asked me if I would ever be interested in guiding somebody. And I said, yes, but I know nothing about it. Like I thought you had to go through some kind of training. I figured it was at least a year training before you could be trusted to be a guide for somebody who can't <laughs> see, right? 
Well, that's not the case. No, no, I've, short, uh, I've been uh, there. So, yeah, very short supply. It's amazing. So anyways, there was a girl, her name is Yvonne Schmidt. She had raced triathlons in the past and she had wanted to get back into it. So she was looking for a guide. So she, re she reached out to me through this grapevine and I said, sure, I'll be happy to, but I have no idea what, what I'm doing. And she said, oh, that's fine. She's like, oh, I raced with first time guides all over the world. <laughs> Usually we don't have anybody who's experienced. And I said, okay. So I literally <laughs> flew down to Florida, um, met her and her husband there and um, watched as she and he put together this tandem. Yeah. It was just incredible. And so, yeah, so we did this, this triathlon together. And so for the swim, you actually have to be tethered. So they have very strict rules so and regulations. So everything you've done, I don't mean to interrupt, but everything you've done to this point is all is all visually impaired athletes, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, visually impaired. So okay. Yvonne was completely blind. Okay. No, no sight whatsoever. So your your swim tied basically by a bungee cord, and there's no standard bungee cord. So you see people with everything from like cat collars or dog collars to like full on bungee cords to race belts with a bungee cord in between. But it, the only catch is they cannot stretch more than a meter between the two of you. Okay. So they measure that beforehand. They've got people on stand up paddle boards watching you. Oh wow! So the day before the race, you get a chance to go and practice the course. So you basically sit and talk her through it. Okay, you got 200 meters out, 90 degree left-hand turn, 200 meters, 90 degree left-hand turn, so she can kind of visualize it herself. And then you go swim it. So Yvonne and I had our little bungee cords on our caps, which was all good until I swam left and it pulled her leg and she swam right. So it was very good. We got to practice. So it was, <laughs> it was quite a, a learning curve. Okay. And so as a guide, most of the time I swim with my head up because I have to watch her. I've got a sight. I've got to watch for people around me. So it's a, it's a little bit of a pressure, a situ a pressure situation. Yeah. Then the bike is on a tandem. I'm in front, of course. <laughs> um, I get asked that a lot. You'd be surprised. <laughs> um, so that was fine. And then the run, again, you're just like bungee cord together, basically. And it's amazing to me how many little things we take for granted, like a little lip in the pavement, a plastic cup that's on the ground. You have to call out every little thing because otherwise she could trip so easily. So... It was the first time I'd ever been around a visually impaired person or somebody who's completely blind. And there were so many times I caught myself just saying silly things. Like I went to the bathroom and flipped the light off as she was going in. I'm sorry, I flipped the light off. <laughs> <laughs> you know? She's like, nope, it was already off. It's okay, it's I'm already good. Already <laughs> I'm good. So anyway, so I raced with Yvonne and we did fine. We made it through the race. And then a couple months later, I'll never forget, I was actually driving back from Duathlon Nationals when it was out in North Carolina. And she called me and it was the first I'd heard from her since the race. And she said, you know, I've got this other girl who's visually impaired and she's looking for a guide. Her guide fell through would you be interested I said well as long as that's okay with you if you don't need me for a race that's fine so they have a lot of strict rules about guides as far as you cannot race as a pro triathlete in any ITU sanctioned event for one year prior to being a guide so Amy Dixon the girl I have been guiding for for the past few years now she her guide had raced long course ITU worlds as a pro and they didn't realize that because it was long course they didn't think it was an, an issue but it was so she was unable to guide for her and her backup guide broke her ankle in a race <laughs> and she was scheduled to do this race she'd been training for all for five months and now she had no guide and it was two weeks until the race and she was desperate for a guide and the race was in Japan 
<laughs> so, <laughs> All right. so did you have a passport and, already and again i did have a passport <laughs> okay that's good but um and i told her i was like you know i've guided once in my life i've been on a tandem like three times and two of those was my sister in a parking lot with me before i went down to see yvonne because <laughs> I, I didn't mind wrecking her I figured, <laughs> yeah kudos to my sister for trusting me i was like i better at least get myself on a tandem before i go uh -huh. and take care sure. of this girl and for the record her husband made me bike with him on the back before he let her really? get on Yes. <laughs> and I don't blame him one bit. Uh -huh. So anyway, so I told Amy, I was like, if you can find anybody who's guided before, you're going to be better off. So please look for somebody. But if you can't find anybody, then I'm better than nobody and I'll, I'll go. And so fortunately, my work was so supportive of this. Two weeks notice, they helped rearrange my schedule. My husband was supportive. He was on board. He said, yes, go. You know, you've got an opportunity to do this. Yeah. And so I went and I met Amy in Japan. Other random thing about Japan is it's actually illegal for two people to ride on a bicycle together. So what? we couldn't even practice on the tandem. What? Until... <laughs> I don't know, right? And so... I want to know what the people were doing that broke that, uh, or that, that caused that law to go into place. <laughs> so our practice was literally your worst case scenario, which was probably good, but it was like maybe a quarter mile loop on cobblestones in the rain Perfect. with a bunch of paratriathletes. There are people wiping out but we made it through and then yeah so we did the race together and i've been guiding for her since so last year she was my priority and this year she's my priority we have our first race together in three weeks we've got a <laughs> big year because she's trying very hard to make a slot for the paralympics in tokyo in august so so what's uh, so in order for you guys to get that spot what, what is the qualification? So there's a series of races that we have to do, and you get points bank, points based on your finish in the race. So, and then they have a Paralympic, paratriathlon, Olymp, Paralympic, anyways, ranking score right. based on how many points you get per race. And you have to be in the top nine, I believe it is, in order to get a slot. And right now we are seventh, I believe. Nice. So there's a whole race series starting in the end of February and running through the end of June. The last race is in Montreal in the end of June. So and then if so if you guys do get that spot and then it's what? July. <laughs> July, <laughs> August. Yeah, it's July. It'll be end of August are the Paralympics. Gotcha. Well, that's yeah, exciting. Super exciting. So of the three, because I've done some guiding just on the bike. Yeah. I haven't yeah. done the other stuff. Of the three what what would you say is the most challenging oh, to the be a guy? Swim, is it swim by far? Absolutely, the swim. Yeah. So swimming is my weak link, anyways, personally. So I work really hard on the swim, and then to be responsible for siding and staying on course mm -hmm. and protecting her from other people that might swim on top of her, and making sure she's staying on course. There's a lot of different dynamics at play, so Definitely. I'm always happy when we get through the swim. Yeah, the, the bike is probably <laughs> the, the bike easiest is, of the, the three, right? The bike is great, except the courses are usually crazy technical. Very, okay. So we've raced on a couple that were like five loops with 20 turns per loop, if you can imagine that. So imagine Jeez. a crit that's crazy with wow. a bunch of... Now, if someone that's listening would is like, wow, that sounds super cool. You know, I'd love to get into being a guide. Yes. Do, you, do you know who a contact point is they for that? They are always looking for guides. So there's actually um, 
There's a Facebook group for them you can search out. There's Dare to Try. There's the Challenged Athletes Foundation. Any of those will get you in the right direction um, for guiding. But they're always looking for guides. And it's a whole range of abilities from beginners all the way up. So it's a very rewarding thing to do. I tell yeah. you, there's nothing like finishing that race and seeing you know somebody who's overcome so many obstacles. I always say it takes away any excuse I ever have to not want to get out of bed in the morning and think about what some of these people do and overcome with what they've got. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's made triathlon a team sport mm -hmm. and you know, for most people who are, have a little bit of competitiveness or they're not going to let a teammate down. So it just, the accountability I'm sure is Huge. way up. And my hat's oh, off sure. to anybody who does an Ironman as a guide because oh, wow. yeah, that's, sure. that's one I haven't tackled yet. It's hard enough to do by myself. <laughs> yeah, some of the most smoked I've ever felt after doing a race was when I've done the, the uh, paracycling stuff. Like I've come home from a weekend over in Oak Ridge, uh, the Tennessee Paracycling Open, and it was like a full week that I needed to recover just because it was so much different than riding on your own. So who's the, who's totally the contact? Who's the contact for like paracycling uh greg miller's greg the guy miller. who uh is yeah probably doing and then P pam fernandez is a is the lady who's out of um colorado springs so she puts on like she does a lot of the stuff through usa cycling and through the um like they put together an actual camp for uh not only uh visually impaired athletes but also the people that want to guide so greg miller's probably the most connected of everyone. He's the one who got me yeah, kind of linked up. Sure. So yeah, if you're interested, I can, yeah, just message us and I can get you in contact with Greg super easy. It's worth doing. It's amazing. Yeah, it's fun. Awesome. All right, we'll finish with some like quick rapid fire questions. Brian, do you have any that you want to throw in before uh, I start firing them off? Yeah, I got, I got, a, I got a quick one. Uh, so we, we talk a lot and you mentioned already consistency is being huge. We know life gets in the way. You've got kids, you've got a family, you've got work. What do you do? Uh, like, what's a go-to workout? Or what do you do if you if you wake up and maybe you've hit snooze, but you know you still got to get a workout in? Is there is there like a go-to workout you do, or something that you would encourage people to not make an excuse and say, "Oh, well, I can't get." 90 minutes so i'm not going to do anything well they say there's nothing worse than the feeling of missing a workout somehow so even if i can't i guess my my default has always been to run because that's the easiest of the three you just have to put on a pair of shoes and get yourself out the door so we've got this this loop around my house we've always called it the block so if I have enough time, my go-to is to do a run around the block. And my kids, when they're little, I say, okay, I'm just going out to run around the block. And they say, okay, you can go run around the block really, really quickly. Of course, <laughs> our block is for about it's, four, it's four miles. It's four miles. <laughs> but it sounds good. Four, just a quick, just a quick eight-mile run. Runs, run around the block. Four miles and finish up a nice little, <laughs> yeah. a nice little kicker hill. Um, all right. What is your what's worst triathlon moment? Oh gosh, worst triathlon moment. That's a tough one. Um, oh, I did Ironman Wisconsin the year it was blazing hot, blazing hot. I mean, was it was like 2005, I think, okay. or something. It looked like a war zone. You're on the bike, and there are people like abandoned on the side of the on the side, just like <laughs> laid out. And I got a flat at mile 60, and it was Whoa. a blazing sun. I was out of water. Oh, I was able to change it. I was able to finish the race, but it was that was. That was the worst. I remember I was doing the run and, you know, you've got your bib with your name on it. 
and there is a cop out on the running course and I'm just like shuffling along. He goes, come on, Kirsten, come on, Kirsten, you can do this. Like, you Were no. you smiling is the question. <laughs> I was probably grimacing more than smiling. <laughs> but her grimace is a smile, so that's good. <laughs> uh, favorite event? Oh, I have to say, I, I've had a lot over the years, but last September I did the Dixie, are you talking about like a triathlon yeah, in general? Yeah, yeah. The Dixie triathlon, hands down my favorite event, probably, probably ever since my first Memphis in May. One, because it's local to me, it's like 15 minutes from my house. And number two, it's so recaptured the essence of that first triathlon I did. Yeah. There were so many people that were just encouraging. It was this great supportive atmosphere. It was a little off the beaten path. Um, it's a really cool event. The city really the city, supports the uh, heck out of it too. The medals, the finishers medals are all handmade at a local pottery shop. The awards are all handmade locally. It's, it's very cool. Awesome. Yeah, it's definitely a cool event. Uh, favorite post-race meal? Uh, you know, so my guilty pleasure is chips and salsa. <laughs> so it has to involve something with chips and salsa. <laughs> I was talking a lot about chips and salsa I know, right? <laughs> All right. So chips, salsa, Mexican food. Um, Let's see. Favorite try moment. Why not throw that one in there? Oh, so my favorite ever ever is I, I went and did um, the, the national championship for sprint and Olympic distance when it was in Omaha and my father was there. He wasn't able to race. He had come down with a bad cold beforehand, but he was there. And um, it's one of the few times he's ever been at nationals when I was racing. And it was, first of all, it was just cool to have him there in general. Yeah. And number two, I had probably the best race weekend of my entire life because, you know, it's a staggered start. They start people at 7 a.m. until 10 a.m. So you have no idea where you finish overall. But I managed to win overall female for the standard distance, the Olympic distance on Saturday. So Sunday is a sprint distance and I am getting a little older and sprint distance seems to be a little bit more of a younger generation <laughs> thing these days. So I didn't really go in with any expectations. They're, They're very quick. quick. I didn't go in with any expectations, but I was doing the run and my dad was calculating it all. So I'm on the run and he goes, Kirsten, I think you can get this, but you're really going to have to go. <laughs> and I'm like, and my legs Stop are loafing. My legs are screaming because of course I raced the day before, but I was like, all right, well, you know, I'll just give it all I have. And it literally came down to the finish. He's like, you're so close. You just got to go. And I just ran with everything I had. And the announcer kept me there afterwards. And he was just like keeping me in limbo, right? Cause they knew, and, but they were telling me, and I ended up winning the overall female for the sprint as well. And it was just so cool. He was so excited. And I think it didn't matter where I finished, really. Just the fact that he was there was yeah, pretty cool. But that's awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. My well, my favorite, <clears throat> my favorite uh, SAS moment was uh, Tiger Lane Crits. Uh, when was it? Last, last year, two years ago? It's been a couple of years. It was think. in the th you were in the three four race, the men's three four race. Oh yeah. And a break got up the road. That's right. And I forgot about this. And all of a sudden, SAS attack, and it's like it's probably a thirty second gap. It's a pretty big gap yeah. uh, for the breakaway. Quite a few people have been dropped already. Yeah. It wasn't an easy men's 3-4 race. This is why it's my favorite moment. <laughs> yeah. And so, Sass attacks, and <laughs> and and did somebody come with you? Was Joyner with you? Jo Joyner had gone, Pfeiffer. and he fell okay. back, and Pfeffer was there. Pfeiffer was there. But yeah. then he fell back. So it was, I remember, it was Taylor and a couple other people. There so, things. Kirsten proceeds to slowly chip away at this 
this uh, gap solo, and then we're all warming up. We're like warming up for the one, two, three race, and uh, we're like, she's gonna clear that gap. She, yeah, she's she totally bridge across that gap. And damn sure she did. <laughs> we were probably you know, what, third, third, third yeah. overall. Yeah, and placed third. Yeah, that was. Uh, I'll never forget that. That was, that was awesome to watch. And I think everyone who was in that break are now cat twos or better. Yeah. I think Chase Peeler, I think, was in Chase that Peeler break. Chase Peeler was, and yeah. Was Derek? I think it was Derek Taylor Chase. Yeah, I think so, yeah. So two cat ones and a cat two? Yeah. <laughs> Strong. It was fun. It was fun. Beast like mode. <laughs> That's why we call her the assassinator. Uh, <laughs> That's it. That's where she got the nickname. I got one last one. Uh, what would be like your biggest tip for a person that's new to the sport? Keep it fun. It's so easy to get caught up in, oh, I have to do this, and I have to do this, and I have to do this. But really, at the end of the day, we get to do it. Um, keep it fun. Find a supportive group to do it with. Go do a race together. It's so fun. There's nothing like seeing your friends out on the race course and doing a little heckling or encouragement, whatever the case mm-hmm. may be. But, um, but keep it fun. I remember I, there was one coach I worked with for a while, and he would always say, why do they always say good work or good job? And it's really just play, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it's important to keep that perspective. Yeah. I, that's, I always tell every athlete that I take on, I say, here's here, we're going to, it's going to get structured and you're going to have, you know, all these workouts to do at the moment. It stops being fun. Tell me because we can re we can rework things and make the training looser and more strict when we need it. Yeah. Like I'm on your like I'm going on your lead on that and just be honest about how you know how your what your mental state is yeah. in the sport right now because it's easy to, like especially when everything outside of triathlon changes like day to day. Yeah. It's life, easy life stress stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. easy to like have it's easy to have the sport turn into just another stress because you're trying to fit it all in. But it's but it's not that hard to like loosen the reins a little bit and still make improvements and not have to worry about like I gotta get in every I gotta get in every session. It's not you know it's not like that. We you, know, you can you can still miss a few and you're you're gonna be fine. Just stay mm. consistent. It's one of my other favorite quotes: "The pressure of competition should never be greater than the pleasure of competition." There you go. <laughs> well, and I think I think one of the, I think Dale and I have chatted quite a bit we got the the poster thing up over there short course is not a crime like one of the biggest reasons why we like people doing short course stuff especially if you're newer to the sport is you can race more often if you are just training for you know an Ironman distance event typically you're doing maybe one or two races per year but it's fun to get out there it's fun to race it's fun to test your fitness but more so it's the community aspect afterwards right the more you can do that I know how many people go and scour the internet on Monday after they've done a race and they're looking for pictures and they're kind of like reliving the whole race and you're going back through it. It's an exciting thing and that in and of itself can keep you motivated. Absolutely. Um, so racing more is a great way to Oh, I love to race. Now there's a balance, obviously. <laughs> well, we there's a balance. We almost made it through the whole show without bringing up Kirsten's race calendar. She's only doing, uh, what, 168 yeah, races this year? No. I'm scaling back. I'm learning. Okay. Okay. Scale it back to but I, 200 days. I think so many people only will go race if they feel like they're on peak fitness. Yeah. 
Whereas, I mean, you can you learn so much from racing too. It's fun. It's a great way to test yourself. But, I mean, don't only show up to a race uh, when you're as fit as you think you can be for fear of not having a result that you want. I mean, get out there and have fun with it. There's no better training than racing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as long as you can recover from it, mm-hmm. there's no better training than racing. So. Any uh, questions we did not ask you that we should have? I think you guys covered it all. <laughs> did okay. Oh, perfect. <laughs> I've got one one final one. All right. Does uh, does Elvis cook the way he does for the camp all the time? Why do you think I have to train so much? <laughs> <laughs> he is a fantastic cook. <laughs> and for anyone who's ever seen pictures of any local race, uh, you'll know when we're saying Elvis. Uh, You've probably caught, you may have even caught the Elvis at some of the ITU, some of the World mm-hmm. Championship races. Uh, he's, he's always been, out there. been known to show up there, too. <laughs> All right, right. folks, we appreciate you hanging out, listening, watching. We will catch you guys next time. Adios. Peace.